Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. There's desperation and anguish. More than 80,000 Afghans have since arrived in America. But this story is still unfolding. I'm Andrea Smartin. In my new podcast, Stranger Becomes Neighbor, we'll find out what happens to these new arrivals in our communities. Who would help our newest neighbors? Follow us at kslpodcast.com, Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Where KSL offers Utah deeper insights on the news. Host Boyd Matheson divides rage from reason and elevates the conversation on issues crucial to our community. On KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. During my time in Washington, D.C., especially in the United States Senate, I, I would often say that the most miserable members of the United States Senate are former governors or former business executives. Interestingly, Republican governors have been turning down the chance to run for winnable Democratic-held seats in the United States Senate. And despite attempts by Leader Mitch McConnell to recruit and bring them in, uh, even when the electoral map may favor them pretty well, uh, they're not buying in. So why is it that they are saying no? What does that mean for the Republicans' chances in the midterm elections? And uh, what does that mean in terms of how the Senate is or isn't functioning? And we're going to our inside source on the United States Senate, James Walner, senior fellow at the R Street Institute, where he writes about the theory and practice of democratic politics, also a former Senate staffer as well. James, welcome back to the program. Well, thanks for having me. And that's some very good insight about governors and executives in general. The Senate is probably not the best place for them. (laughs) Yeah, so we've seen this big slew uh, of uh, Republican governors saying, yeah, I'll I'll pass on that Senate race. Uh, Maryland Governor Larry Hogan was the latest to chime in uh, to say, no, I'm not interested in that. We also had, of course, New Hampshire Governor Chris Sununu uh, said he was going to stick with running for governor rather than chasing the Senate uh, you've also had uh, Arizona Governor Doug Ducey just say, nope, focused on this. Uh, what is it? What is it about that dynamic uh, between being an executive and being a senator that many are just saying, yeah, not so not so interesting to me? Well, there's there's a couple of things. One, it's just different. An executive is a different job being governor than being a, in a legislature. It's just a fundamentally different thing. And people who are executives or run companies, I think about, say, like a Senator Purdue, for instance, they're just frustrated in the Senate. They're just <laughs> going to be frustrated because of the dynamic. And that's but that's only one of, of I think, three different ex- or four different explanations for what could be going on here to explain this dynamic. Yeah. And let's let's dive into those. I, I remember taking a train ride from the uh, <laughs> the Senate building over to the Capitol uh, with one of those uh, former executive senators who was sitting on the train with his head in his hand, just shaking his head, <laughs> saying there's not a business on this planet that can function the way the Senate does. <laughs> Is it just the way the Senate functions? Is that one of the reasons? Well, you know, you know, the Senate shouldn't function like a business, to be honest with you. Yeah. Because it's not a business. It's just a different body. It's not a factory. It shouldn't operate that way. But, look, there's one of the reasons why they're not running potentially – is because these are some of them are deep blue states and they don't expect to win. You know, I mean, you know, Governor Hogan and and may not be able to defeat uh, Chris Van Hollen, may not think he can. And so he doesn't want to run Scott in Vermont. I mean, some states will elect a Republican governor, but aren't likely to elect Republican senators. That's one dynamic. The other dynamic is maybe they could be primary. Right. I mean, we're getting to the point where the primary dates are 
uh, passing us by. But I'm reminded of, say, one of my former employers, Pat Toomey. Yeah. Um, he was running for the Senate, and the Republican establishment, the leadership, tried to convince a former governor, Tom Ridge, to run against him. And Ridge turned them down. And one, I think one of the reasons was is they didn't think that they could beat that primary campaign mm-hmm. um, challenge. But then I think the last reason, and it's one that you've already mentioned and alluded to, is that I mean, they just don't want the job. I'm reminded of that, you know, the, to paraphrase Woody Allen, what is the quote where the only clubs that, you know, he can be a member of, he doesn't want to be, or, yeah. you know, or something like that. I mean, <laughs> who wants to be a United States senator right now? I mean, if Mitch McConnell came calling, I don't, I think I might have to say no. Yeah. Uh, I mean, uh, what, do, what do senators do? Yeah. And, and I, I want to get into that because I think that's, that's part of that whole reasoning is it seems to me that a lot of these governors kind of look at the lay of the land and they say, okay, uh, this race is not going to be about me as an executive or things that I've accomplished or got done. It's going to be a debate over whether Chuck Schumer should be the leader of the Senate or Mitch McConnell should be the leader of the Senate or, or whether we should go back to President Trump policies or, or whether we should you know, have this uh, debate over President Biden's agenda. Uh, and for governors, that doesn't seem to be like a, a fun a fun path to get a job. No, I mean, the campaign is miserable. It's brutal. They drag you through the mud. They drag your family through the mud. It doesn't seem like it's a good thing. And then say you win, to what purpose? They basically go to Washington every, you know, a couple days a week to eat lunch with their colleagues. They don't do anything. They're waiting for the leadership to tell them what to do. And if you try to change the dynamic, you're basically a skunk at the garden party. You're ants at the picnic. And nobody wants to be a bunch of ants at a picnic. Nobody likes you. And changing institutions from the inside out is a brutal thing. So not only is being a governor, an executive different than being a senator, and you're already prone to frustration, if they actually want to be impactful and change the way Washington works right now, they're going to have to burn the place down to do so. Mm. And that is a thankless a thankless job, as you and I both know, and we've had personal experience with. Yeah, and that's such an important thing that uh, if you do try to change things from the inside, you are immediately labeled as the the troublemaker, the the problem child. Uh, you have to sit at the far end of the table uh, at the uh, Senate <laughs> lunch every week. Uh, and, and it's worse than high school. I mean, they just they ostracize you. I mean, you're not a cool kid. You don't get invited to the cool kids table. You're told that you're the problem. Nobody wants to deal with that. Yeah. Uh, And and I wanted to ask you just real quickly on this, James, because one of the other things that we have seen people start to complain a little bit about, you talk about the process and and that the Senate's not really doing anything. One of the things that seems to be vanishing uh, is the markup process in a committee. And can you just walk us through that real quickly? To me, it seems like that is the place, that's the first chance to either improve or tweak a bill, and it seems like markups just aren't even happening anymore. So, if you're a governor thinking about it, uh, your influence is not even on the vote. It's not even a chance to influence things at the beginning of the process. Right. I mean, you can't influence things anywhere. I mean, so basically, for your listeners, you introduce a piece of legislation, it goes to committee. If you're on that committee, you then mark it up, which you basically offer a bunch of amendments to it. You try to uh, shape it and get it into a form you like. And then you send it to the full Senate. When it gets to the full Senate floor, they go through that whole process again. But this time, all senators get to participate in it, which is one of the reasons why people want to be senators. They can offer amendments. They can debate it. And then it goes to the House or goes to the president to get signed into law. So you can really have a major impact 
on legislation. The problem is a lot of these bills aren't going through committee at all anymore. They're bypassing committee, number one. And then when they do get to the floor, the majority leader just basically uses some obscure uh, procedural maneuver to block all amendments. And basically, you're just sitting there waiting to be a rubber stamp. I mean, imagine in your head for a minute, picture a, a governor sitting there with this pen ready to go, just waiting when to sign on the dotted line, but having no chance to read the thing he's signing, no chance to basically shape the thing he's signing, and then he's going to get blamed or praised for that thing that he had no role in producing. Mm. Yeah, fascinating stuff, and I think this is one of the big problems uh, right now is we don't have the reformers who are willing uh, to go through that process to do the hard work, to be ostracized by your own party, to be criticized by your own leadership of your party, Uh, and those are the kinds of leaders we want. I think some of the governors could play that role uh, but it has become just such an albatross of even looking at how things don't function in the Senate uh, that I think a lot of good people, a lot of good women, a lot of good men are just saying, nope, I can make a difference uh, somewhere else. James Walner, always appreciate your perspective, and we'll continue to monitor how things happen in the Senate and who actually decides to run and can anything really be changed? Can we go back? I don't think it's about uh, reinventing anything. It's going back to the job description. I think the founders laid it out pretty well. James, thanks for joining us. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll step aside for one last commercial break. When we come back, we're going to have an Olympic lesson for you from an interesting sport. And it's a really important one you need for your life today, tomorrow, and the rest of the week. Don't miss it. Right here on KSL News Radio. I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. In October of 1985, a woman named Cherie Warren left work at a busy Salt Lake City office. To meet her estranged husband at a downtown auto dealership. She never made it home. Cherie's car surfaced weeks later in Las Vegas. In the parking lot of a hotel casino. No one knows how it got there. Strange. It was strange. Both Cherie's estranged husband and her boyfriend raised suspicion for investigators. I kind of thought that he might have done something. But no arrests were ever made. In Cold Season 3, we dig into double lives, make new connections in the case, and examine the difficulty raised by reasonable doubt. We want answers just as much as anyone else. They have creeps like that now, too, so nothing's changed. That's the new Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie. Now available anywhere you get your podcasts.